So many New Mexicans have had to either choose between their well-being or their job, especially during the pandemic. But starting today, they won't have to. That's because a new paid sick leave law takes effect in our state. I'm Damian Willis, and this is The Reporter's Notebook from the Las Cruces Sun News. A podcast in which we attempt to pull back the curtain on our reporting process while diving deeper into some of the biggest stories of the week. In this week's episode, we're talking about a new law impacting all New Mexico workers. Beginning July 1st, private employers in New Mexico must allow their employees to earn paid sick leave if they don't already do so. Workers covered by the Healthy Workplaces Act of 2021 may use time off to recover from an illness or injury, assist an ailing family member, or address covered legal or domestic situations. They'll be able to accrue 64 hours annually in most cases, and will also be able to accumulate unused time year to year. Although the employer does not have to allow them to take more than 64 hours off, it's a little complicated. But it's also a game changer for many New Mexico workers. We'll dive into what it means, why it matters, and the difference it may make for people working around the state. We'll talk to Las Cruces Sun News reporter Algernon DeMassa, who recently wrote about this for the newspaper, and to Stephanie Welch, an attorney who's the workers' rights director for the New Mexico Center on Law and Poverty. We'll also be joined by Melissa Martinez, one of the organizers from Olay, Organizers in the Land of Enchantment, which advocates for issues like this. First, Algernon, Stephanie, Melissa, thanks for taking the time to talk with us today. Hello, Damien. No problem. (laughs) Happy to be here. Let's just kind of start by giving you each a moment to introduce yourself to our listeners. Um, Algernon, uh, you might you might not need much of an introduction. No, but hello, I'm Algernon. I'm a reporter for the Las Cruces Sun News. Stephanie? I am Stephanie Welch. I'm an attorney with the New Mexico Center on Law and Poverty, and we advocate for economic and racial justice for New Mexicans. And Melissa, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, my name is Melissa Martinez. I am a representative, a member of OLAVE. Um, I'm a part of the workforce. Taking a 30,000-foot view, what does this new law mean for New Mexico workers? Who'd like to start? I'll defer unless you want me to uh, give a sort of introduction. Um, I, can, uh, I can respond to that, and then um, we can take it from there. So the big view is that New Mexico, prior to this law going into effect, had the lowest percentage of workers with paid sick leave of any state in the country. So it was much needed. And now that this law is going into effect, the workers in New Mexico will have the right to earn one hour of paid sick leave for every 30 hours they work. And they can take that paid sick leave for a broad range of needs for when they're sick and when they have caretaking obligations. The big picture of the new law is that it's 
simply recognizes that workers get sick and that they have caregiving responsibilities for loved ones in their life. And it just recognizes that and accommodates it. And it's just a matter of treating workers fairly and with respect and dignity. Algernon, uh, what do you want to add to what uh, Stephanie was saying about what this new law means for New Mexico workers? I can take a step back and tell a little bit of the story here. So what took effect on Friday, July 1st, is the Healthy Workplaces Act. And this was actually passed in the legislature last year, and it waited quite some time to go into effect ostensibly to allow employers uh, time to to plan for a law that was very controversial and the passage of it in the uh, in Santa Fe was very difficult. It was very fraught. There was a lot of angry debate. There were a lot of amendments to the bill as far as which employers counted, how much time. But essentially, uh, what emerged is a law that allows workers in, in the private sector to take time off to recover from illness or injury, to assist family members, to address uh, certain legal or domestic situations. They can accrue 64 hours annually in most cases, um, and that time can unused time is to roll over year to year. Um, the employer doesn't have to allow them to take more than 64 hours off in a year, but unused time does accumulate. Melissa, what does it mean for New Mexico workers from your organization's point of view? Well, like I said, I come from a grassroots community. Um, this is reflective of the workforce of essential workers, basically the individuals that have been standing there providing services during very difficult times during the pandemic that had to acknowledge, you know, because of their rights in the workplace, they didn't have paid sick leave when they needed it most for COVID or when they needed it for their families. Um, it's not inclusive to what you can use this paid sick leave for. Um, you can use it on your kids. Uh, for example, I have two children, a three and a four-year-old. And it's very difficult to confront your boss when you don't have enough paid time off accumulated and say, hey, you know, life happens and my my children need me. It's not like you can just drop them off somewhere or anywhere. They've had to also adhere to protocols with early childhood centers. If somebody was tested positive, there was a duration period you had to stay out. So that affects everybody. You can't just say, well, you have to stay home but not suffer the consequences of money. Money is needed for everything and you can't avoid it. It's, it's unavoidable. Sure. Yeah. The new law makes the earned benefit a right to private sector workers. What's the significance of that, Stephanie, to workers who didn't have it before? It's of tremendous significance to workers who didn't have it before. Like Melissa referred um, from her own experience, a parent, their child is sick. They can't send them to school. They can't send them to daycare. But before, when that was the situation the worker was in, they had to choose. But even if their employer would allow them to take the time off, it would be unpaid. So they had to choose between money to put food on the table 
or being able to stay home with the sick child, or they faced termination if their employer said, no, you have to come in, but yet the parent had to stay home. Now the parent can stay home with the child and not lose the pay that they would have gotten. So they continue to, you know, continue to meet their caregiving responsibilities, take care of their kid, earn the money that they need to care for their child. And it benefits the employer as well because they don't have to lose that employee. The employee can continue working there and it's a benefit long term for everybody as far as the parent can be a good caretaker for their child. The employer doesn't have to have continual turnover from workers having to leave because they needed to take time off. And then we're all safer because the child wasn't sent to school sick or to daycare and spreading disease. So it's really beneficial to everybody and it's going to make such an important difference in keeping our communities Healthy. Good morning, Kai. So this morning, New Mexicans can prioritize their health without fear of losing their job. Employees that need treatment, recovery time, or preventative care for a mental or physical illness, injury, or health condition may take paid sick leave. You, I mean the employee, needs to take time off to deal with domestic abuse, sexual assault, or stalking. Those individuals also have the right to paid sick leave. So here's how it works. For every 30 hours worked, employees will earn one hour of paid sick leave. Now that accrual starts the minute they go to work today and employees can earn 64 hours or eight days of paid sick leave during a 12 month period. Now that's just the minimum. Employers can choose to give even more. Paid sick leave can also be used to take care of a loved one, basically anyone you consider family. Now employers are required to comply with this new law. If they don't, employees can report via violations to the Department of Workforce Solutions or even sue. I think from the the workers perspective it's certainly a win-win, but uh remaining in effect are these systemic disparities in unearned benefits which are held by some groups and not others in different employment sectors, sometimes even within a single workplace. What does that look like on the ground? Right. This was something that I attempted to address in a recent story about this uh, about this law. And so there are sort of unearned benefits that can often be unofficial. It's not the sort of thing that might even be addressed in a in a contract or a worker's agreement. Um, it might look like the question might be, do you have time to take a walk and stretch during your workday? Does your workplace have amenities like a gym or or even someplace where you can walk, get air, a break room, perhaps facilities where you can get nutritious food? Another one might be, do you have the sort of job where working remotely is an option? Do you have the flexibility to work from home as opposed to coming into a crowded office? When you are away from work, do you feel pressured to answer emails or text messages that are work-related? Um, is that an expectation that's on you? Even social gatherings with coworkers, do you feel that you can assemble with them in places and not feel stressed out about what it might cost you? Just lots of there are lots of ways in which employees can feel more or less secure 
more or less valued by coworkers and managers in ways that might be invisible to the law or a contract. Right. Stephanie or Melissa, do you have anything you want to add to that? I, I agree with that. I've been an employee where you are on a thread and just holding on for dear life with your employment. And I think the most liberating feeling is knowing that even if there are downfalls in your life that are unpredictable or maybe, you know, something happens, you're not going to be there in despair, that you have to reassemble your life from scratch. It's hard for the workers out here to reassemble their life and what their opportunities for employment are. I mean, everybody has, you know, their gifts, their spirits, and what they have to contribute to society. It crushes a person like me as a parent to think that I would lose an opportunity of a job because I need an hour of mental rest. It is so physically exhausting. I break a sweat in the morning before I even take my kids to school because it's a two and a three-year-old. I used to have to transport them from Santa Fe to Albuquerque. And my son would throw up on himself and you would be like, well, what? does a good parent do you pull over you tend to that child and you love them it's not a game it's not a rush anymore we need to adhere to policies to understand the structure of humanism how are we changing in this society if we're just go 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 we don't want to be narcissists we don't want to feel like this is it we want to feel encompassed and belonging does someone want to explain wellness privilege? That's not a term that I had heard before reading Algernon's reporting on this issue. Right. It's kind of novel. So this was coined by Laura Putnam, who I had interviewed for that story. Laura Putnam is a wellness consultant, and she kind of works at the other end of the capitalist structure. So she actually talks to employers and tries to encourage them to think about the welfare of all of their workers as something that's best for the organization and for the bottom line. She wrote a book called Workplace Wellness That Works, and she coined this phrase wellness privilege to talk about some of these disparities that can take place across sectors and even within a single office. For example, I'll elaborate on that. So for instance, Employers will sometimes encourage their employees to do things like take little breaks during the day, you know, make sure you get something to eat, prioritize tasks based on what they love to do versus things that maybe they have to do but don't feel so great about doing. And what Laura Putnam likes to talk about is how a lot of these things kind of put responsibility on the worker to take care of themselves, but they might not be able to afford time or money for a gym membership. And, and eating nutritious whole foods is more expensive very often. And some communities don't really have access to that. And so there are these kind of assumptions that can be made about what employees actually have access to. I think that's interesting because – so often we think about wellness as a matter of personal responsibility. It's as though it's something you're supposed to do for yourself when you're away from work. And uh, it's not our employer's responsibility. I just like to kind of go around the table and, and find out 
what your thoughts are about that. I think um, I've experienced it firsthand. Uh, I'm not going to mention the company's name. However, they are from out of state. So before they developed the corporation, they knew the laws around employment for individuals and their opportunities. So competitive-based pay was unavailable. You had a starting pay, and you would not move from that range of pay. Um, they also encompassed 10-hour working days. They refused to go part-time with individuals. This really put a strain on my life, having children. It depleted the quality of my life. I didn't have friends. It was hard to develop time for myself to, to heal physically and mentally because the job itself was draining. The task that I had to do was collections and debt. So you can only imagine what type of calls I was getting and threatening calls, harassing calls, calls that I was going to lose my life. And I was in a community where it was possible. The corporate managers thought it was a joke, would say, we're going to send the cost after you, we're going to call you. However, those individuals would call back to the store and say, hey, I got a call that you guys are calling the cops on me if you go and I'm going to go up and hold you up. It's something that, that scares you. You don't want to work there. You don't want to develop that. But I think prospectively, if they would have incorporated different policies on breaking down what it meant to work, maybe like the structure of the hours, breaking down those 10 hours to five hours for two people. However, they didn't want to incorporate that as cost. Cost is the bottom line. We are not cost. We are entitled as humans to be able to get this time to breathe, to live. Stephanie, let's turn to you. What are your thoughts on that? When employers don't provide basic benefits like paid sick leave, they're hurting all of us. We all have less healthy lives when employers impose policies like not allowing employees to take sick leave. Workers without paid sick leave are much more likely to neglect their own medical care they're more likely to not be able to provide medical care for their families. They are less likely to be able to get preventative care for their children. Also, these economic, um, these employer policies, when they don't provide basic benefits like paid sick leave, they're exacerbating racial disparities in wealth and economic security. Because workers who are white have more access to paid sick leave than workers who are Latinx or black. And so addressing these basic needs that all employees have helps address these broader disparities in our community. Algernon, uh, anything you want to add? Yes, I will. Uh, so just our notion of health is affected, like all of our social relations, by our economic conditions and structures. And so we're used to coming up through public schools and learning to think of ourselves as workers, usually employees. And honestly, we, we take health onto ourselves and we view health as sort of what we do in order to make ourselves fit for work. And so the notion of health is that you don't take a lot of time for yourself. We don't. Americans are famously loath to take vacation time, even when they do have it, even when they are provided with it. Um, I've been guilty of it myself through my working life. And we kind of if you know, if we're injured or we're sick, then we go to the doctor 
usually you know, after we have symptoms or injury and we patch ourselves up and get ourselves ready, ready for work, ready to go back to work immediately. Right. It's a, it's a very, it's a very specific notion of health and it is possible for us to think of health differently. Yeah. And it seems like there's been this work, work life balance creep that's happened over the past 30 or 40 or 50 years kind of away from from the life end of that spectrum and more toward that work end and and that is certainly Algernon alluded to this earlier that's certainly aided in part by technology you know the feeling the need to respond to texts or work emails when you're not supposed to be working absolutely your workplace is in your pocket wherever you go yeah as things stand right now with the new law in place, what position are workers in to negotiate for their basic human needs? I don't think at this point anybody should negotiate their basic needs. Like I said, when you do that, you deplete the quality of your lifestyle. Um, I don't think people should negotiate with any terms. Um, everybody is to be held accountable, including small businesses. What I think the initiative for small businesses to do is support the employee because Basically, we're making the wealth for the wealthy. So how are they going to show us that we're worth it? How are they going to show us our wealth? Stephanie, uh, anything you want to add to that? Workers are always more powerful when they can act collectively, when they, they can act together. So as far as asserting their rights in the workplace, whether it's under their rights under this law or any other rights that they want to have recognized in the workplace when workers come together they can have tremendous um, impacts and that is um, protected as well by by this law and by our minimum wage law so when um, workers act collectively they have additional protections and they can push their employers to respect their rights during the COVID-19 pandemic, what did we learn about essential workers and their roles and how does this affect them? One of the things that Melissa mentioned that I thought was interesting was that sometimes take a, a daycare worker, for instance, who is not sick but might have been exposed and has to quarantine for a set amount of time before going back to work, you know— <laughs> What what is that? Is that sick leave, presumably, that you have to use? But the financial stability was assumed on the responsibility of the employee. See, a lot of the employers don't realize that this margin of increase on everything is killing people. It takes like $100 in gas. Like It's astronomical, the numbers. And it's not correlating with what's coming in what's in the pockets of these americans do you do you expect for everybody to have savings accounts no some people live check to check and it's not because of financial uh, frivolousness or just buying on a whim it's just that the fact is so hard to accomplish a lifestyle now with the way that this inflation is rising yeah it's not irresponsibility on their part well i guess some economists experts 
anticipated people to have savings by now. And, you know, that's not always the case. People need a financial stable weight. And this at least creates that. This is saying, okay, if you're going to contribute one hour or 30 hours, we'll give you an hour. How terrific is that? That voices like Olay and community members across New Mexico are coming together to say, hey, enough is enough. You're going to overwork us. We want something worth our time and our breath and our value. I think that the next step forward for New Mexico is to open up our eyes that economically, and we have grown a diverse population of individuals from out of state. Out of state means that they know the laws to employees of New Mexico, but they're not going to, they're going to anticipate to play by the book. They're not going to give you beyond or more of your value. So take it or leave it. And that's not the structure we deserve. We deserve difference than this at will state. Bottom line. I, Algernon, I want to turn to you here because I think it's important to, to ask what we're hearing from the, uh, the local business community. Well, I, I hope you're sitting down, Damien, because <laughs> what I tell you is that we have some employers in the community who are uh, unpleased. And um, what what I've been hearing from employers is is basically about the the enhanced cost that they say that this is going to lead to. Um, they also associate it with other problems operating in a in an environment where uh, some businesses are having trouble retaining or hiring employees. There's an inflation environment right now. There are some challenges, especially to smaller businesses and businesses that are harder to maintain. Uh, restaurants are famously, it's very difficult to control other costs uh, other than labor and and there's less flexibility to change prices a lot and so um, I've been hearing a lot from restaurant owners who are very concerned about what this means for them and and just are, are not happy and do not feel that our reporting has uh, sufficiently accounted for the pressures that this is going to cause them. In fact, the, it was one of the several factors that Wing Daddies cited in their decision to shut down their Las Cruces location, saying that New Mexico wasn't business friendly. Right. And we heard we we also heard when the minimum, you know, with the every time that there's a new increase in the minimum wage, sure. because here at increase, um, we have businesses that decide, you know, announce that that's what sort of kicked them over the over the edge into having to close locations or shut down entirely. Um, these are these are measures that increase the cost of labor. And unfortunately, we're in a little bit of a snare where you know, labor accounts for a large part of the liabilities to employers, and there's always pressure to extract as much value from labor as possible. And anything that adds, you know, these benefits that add to the, to the human, <laughs> to, the, to the health and welfare of that labor force also represents a cost. And it's a very, it's a very strange dialectic. Stephanie and, and Melissa, what are you guys hearing or what is your response to those concerns from the business community? 
several uh, responses to that. One is that um, many places around the country have instituted um, paid sick leave ordinances or laws, and there are many studies of those, the effects of those laws, and they've all shown minimal to no impact on businesses, that even businesses who fought those ordinances or laws going into effect a year later reported that they hadn't experienced any negative economic impact from it. So instead of, I hear businesses and the fears that they're expressing, but we've also seen evidence after these laws have gone into effect that shows that those fears turn out to not be realized and that employers don't suffer financially. Real quick, I would think that there's also a component of what Algernon mentioned earlier about workers leaving vacation days, paid vacation days on the table, being really reluctant to use that time, even if they're granted it. And that, in some ways, that means that even though, you know, they can accrue this paid time off, um, this sick leave, they may be disinclined to use it. That's exactly true. Studies have also shown that most workers don't take all their paid sick leave. Uh, certainly not all workers even take all their PTO and vacation time, but specifically about sick leave, most workers don't take all of their and all the paid sick leave that they're entitled to. Uh, I, the other um, comment I was going to go ahead, Melissa. I think at this point, um, for small businesses, I understand. Um, I am not going to say who, but I have family, friends that own small businesses. And like you previously stated, it has been achieved through, um, you know, conscious spending. And I think that it has to be present that a business is financially viable. And at that point, if that business is financially viable and stable, maybe they could request, maybe they should start their own small business community group to talk about how that impacted them. And if there is any economic relief for small businesses, it happens. We got the EILD loans, the emergency disaster loans. They got PPP for some that could qualify. And for those small businesses that didn't, I do apologize. It must be a hard time for you. But it's not to be discouraged to stop from establishing small business or to discourage your employees from questioning their rights based off of what the law is. Some individuals are saying, well, you know, um, small businesses is excluded from this. No, don't, don't shortchange what it is. Just embrace it. And if there is any change to be made, is that opportunity for you to go speak in legislation and say small businesses need this tax break or incentive and that accumulation of that incentive should develop as a rollover, develop as a rollover as a internal system for the product that needs to be paid sickly. I think it was Stephanie who touched on this earlier, but talk to us about that intersection of this space that we've been talking about with systemic racism in maintaining these inequities among workers. Um, I felt the direct impact because not earning sufficient wages is, you know, it, it's credible to who you are. 
because your presentation as a human, you need the correct car, attire, your children need to be presentable. You know, you have to attain to this level of culture of society because unfortunately there is bullying. And unfortunately it does come from adults, it comes from children. And I think that it's hard to encompass somebody that comes into school with clothes from goodwill. My children do. And I'm not ashamed of it because at the end of the day, if all I have $15 to spend on me and my kids, I'm going to spend it on my kids. And I'm going to do the best that I can to extend that opportunity of that short possibility of money. But, you know, because of the regards of taking responsibility in society as a conscious person to be the well-being of everybody from COVID, you know, we don't have enough money. I miss. 14 days but of the six days off that we have that would only cover a portion if you're cautious and you save how to do whatever but it still shows stephanie we know that workers of color are less likely to have additional benefits and policies like this are unfortunately what it takes in order to help reduce the disparities um, and injustices that we see in our community. Is there uh, anything you want to add, Algernon? Yeah, I mean, think about, you know, certain kinds of jobs, right, that may not have the kind of flexibility that allows people to make healthy choices or work remotely. Um, You know, who are our agricultural workers, right? They're overwhelmingly... Sure. you know, Latino populations, domestic workers, you know, overwhelmingly, these are these are immigrant workers and and also the disparity in in you know, women as opposed to men being impacted by that. So, you know, it's 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 carved up to a lot of different vulnerable groups by specific kinds of work that society depends on, yet really actively mitigates against workers being able to be healthy. Despite these legal interventions, not all industries or employers will come to see workers' health and happiness as business priorities. What can be done to combat that? And how does this new law help? Groups that's, like Jose. That's up um, for grabs. Yeah, yes. Um, well, I'll, I'll uh, at least refer to Melissa and she can add, but um, groups like hers, Olay, and uh, advocates and community leaders like her being out and vocal about what it means to be a worker, their value as workers, what it means to treat workers with respect and dignity and treat them fairly. That is what will change employers' attitudes in addition laws like this because legal intervention is required in order to force these kinds of policies to be accessible to workers. One of the great things about this law, it's not just that the the law is in effect and it passed, but during the process of it being debated in the legislature, so many workers spoke in committee hearings. So many workers talked to their legislators and expressed to them what their lives are like what it's like to not have these basic benefits. And that's so crucial for our policymakers to understand that they need to prioritize these types of policies and for everyone to appreciate how workers need these basic benefits and basic rights. 
I love that. And I'm going to include that voicing is not easy, not when you are a lower economic society. Um, because of the despair of losing your job, we fear retaliation when we speak up against something that we know in our heart is wrong. If you feel something is, you know, going against ethics of moral, of belief, and it's just, I can't express how thankful I am to be a part of the OA community. Um, that's how I collaborated with them is I was a mother in despair. Uh, during hard times uh, that, you know, a lot of people, they see that challenge, they don't really want to talk about it, or they're experiencing that challenge and they don't want to say so to all the heroes out there that really put that effort into attending legislative session. Believe me, it's not easy. I attended most of the legislative session for the cap on loans. Um, predatory loaning is no longer going to be legal in the state of New Mexico of over 176 percent um which is you know it's a dedicated commitment for all the individuals that had to attend legislative session and it's not to say that this hasn't been a battle for years um so everybody in new mexico who has gone through the hurdles and the obstacle course thank you thank you from the bottom of my heart and on on one hand you know it can be scary when you're speaking up against your employer and you fear retaliation, but it takes a certain kind of courage to show up and testify in front of the state Senate or uh, a committee hearing when you may not even feel like you've got the, the information or, or you may not be worthy of being there and testifying you know, before Congress. Right. And I mean, from a from the perspective of reporting stories about this, who are the easiest interviews to get and who are the hardest interviews to get? I mean, it's it's it's, it's easy to get to get the, the congressman uh, or the, the state senator. But it's uh, hard to get those regular, hardworking people. Right. And so these voices can often get excluded from news coverage. And that means an important voice and perspective on the story gets omitted. And that's a that's a huge problem. What do you guys want to add that I haven't asked you? This is such an important topic. The main thing I want to add is that it's so important that workers are at the table to initiate these policy discussions and to ensure that they have the basic benefits that they have identified as necessary for them to be able to live their lives and carry out their caregiving responsibilities and maintain their health. And we are all grateful to the workers who have helped push these policies and pushed recognition of the value that workers bring to everybody else's lives. Algernon, what did you want to add? I think it's interesting, strange, and tragic that for all of the ways in which our economic system is successful and delivers for society, it also has some serious drawbacks, not the least of which is that it will pit human beings in different economic positions against each other so that a person's health and happiness is seen as a labor cost or 
as irrelevant, even though workplaces are where the majority of us spend most of our days. And I'm not going to sit here and expound on what I think the solutions are, but I think that in terms of as journalists, you and me, we have to keep remembering that uh, people in the position of an employer are going to view these challenges and stresses in a way that's very different than the people who are doing the work that produces the value and ultimately the surplus and the profits. Absolutely. Algernon, Stephanie, Melissa, thank you so much for your time today. Anytime, thank Damian. Thank you for having us. Yeah, having us talk about this important uh, topic. Such a pleasure. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Reporter's Notebook. We also have a newsletter sharing reporter stories about, well, about how we report stories. You can find all of our stories and the rest of our reporting in the Las Cruces Sun News. A huge thanks goes out to Algernon, Stephanie, and Melissa for joining us this week. You can follow Algernon's reporting on issues like this and much, much more in the Las Cruces Sun News. Also, you can find this podcast on Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon Music, iHeart, TuneIn, Stitcher, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. This has been the Reporter's Notebook from the Las Cruces Sun News. I'm your host, Damian Willis. This week's podcast was written and produced by me. Thanks to KOB4 in Albuquerque for the additional audio heard in this episode. You can find all our local reporting brought to you daily by reporters who live and work in Las Cruces at www.lcsun-news.com. For all of us at The Sun News, Thank you for the privilege of your time.